As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by John O'Peck, current freelance writer for Rainbite. So join us as we explore his journey. So it's been a long time coming, but John O'Peck, welcome to Dev Diary. How are you, mate? Thank you, Paul. Very good, thanks. It's great to be here, uh, returning the favour, I guess you could say, after your putting in work. Yeah. So a couple of months. It was only back. a few months ago, and it was it was a great time. So yeah, I guess yeah, we're returning the favour, and very much looking forward to having a chat. We were even back and forthing a little bit about when should we do this? Uh, do this pre-launch? Mm-hmm. Should we line it up to to go live the week of the game coming out, or or what's ultimately been the case here, just a fortnight afterwards, and. I think we've made the right choice. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see once the show is actually done. Uh, I think we've made the right choice. Sure. No. Yeah, definitely. It's been good having like, you know, I did podcasts leading up to the release, like on the release. You know, when there was critics with the game, post release with spoilers and everything. So it's it's good now to have debrief. another one because yeah, to have be yeah, a bit of a debrief and and not just be talking about the exact same thing on everyone because when it's a, a different point in the the lead up and and post release, it means that there's different angles to come at it. So yeah, let, let's get yeah, into I get it. it. I mean, what you're trying to say ultimately is this is the best version of any interview you'll do related to, uh, to Rainbite and Trigger Witch. I get it. That's right. I'll take well, it. Don't, and, don't until, say anything else <laughs> until the putting in work episode comes out. Yeah, yes, self promotion. That's be. fair. And you're getting the whole team on board, so that'd be great. Yeah, how's it been before we even dive into mm. the the ins and outs of the career so far? How, how's it been now? It's been almost two weeks, or by the time this episode goes up, about two weeks since Trigger Witch launched. How have you how have you been processing everything so far? We've obviously had some little back and forths about you know as the reviews come piling in and all those sorts yeah. of things. But what, what's it been like? And are you starting to disconnect from some of that initial? I'm guessing fervor there. Uh well, first of all, it's been awesome. Like I've just been soaking it up. You know, it's kind of like your wedding day. How you just like you know want to savor every moment because it's only it's only going to happen once, yep. ideally. And it's it's similar to that, but it's over like a long period of time because things. You know, it's not like when uh, God of War releases and there's twenty five thousand reviews yeah. <laughs> to read on on day one. It's it's more like you know, oh, we had. F- you know, five reviews the first day and we had 10 the second day and then we had three the next day and then we had 10 the day after that. It's it's like it, it kind of just trickles out uh, because it's an indie and things just work a little bit differently. Sadly, so, they're like COVID numbers um, where they're fluctuating a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a bit like the case numbers. It's like t- today we have a, a three nine out of 10s and one six out of 10. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been cool to just follow it and see like, the different countries jumping on and there was a certain point where like the Japanese content started yep. to hit. So, and then the let's play start to come out and then people start streaming it. So there's always been something to follow. And even up until today, like as of recording, I think we're like 10 or 11 days post yep. release and, and there's still reviews from some big sites. We've got which meta is, scores over the night really and all those sorts of little things. 
Yeah, yeah, we we finally got like the the is that what it's called the meta score like the consensus it's or whatever. My so, word, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's real or not. It the, checks out. I think it is. I think I think I saw that on there. It's you know you need like the four yeah. ratings to get the to get overall. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that kind of thing's been cool to follow, and yeah, just seeing people like like yourself make coverage for it through a podcast like this or or other kinds of reviews and. And streams and, and let's plays it's, it's been cool and the tr- like even like a trophy guide will yeah. pop out and i'll be like oh sweet i'm gonna read through this and tell them all the things that are wrong with it. <laughs> here's how you can do it better yeah it's not glitched you missed a spot <laughs> yeah i mean we had some little back and forth like that but uh that's that's all kind of more present day stuff and we've got some earlier activities to get to but before we get to that better intro it sure. this is dev diary a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry they share their stories their experiences and the journey that has led to this current point Jono, you're a developer now how's that sitting with you i am that's pretty cool yeah it's great like i can't remember if i answered the whole of of your question before but um it's definitely still exciting being you know almost two weeks later and good to hear I think because it's because it's my first game like I guess it's got extra novelty appeal to me than it does to the other guys that they're, they're probably sick of me telling them hey there's another review but um it's <laughs> it's told just you such that yet, a uh, you, I read between the lines <laughs> uh I think I'm the, I'm the only one I think that reads like every single piece of of content and coverage yeah okay that's out there they might they might they might look at the scores, but um, I'm pretty pretty deep in the weeds in it. Because it's it like, how many times is this going to happen? Like where I'm this excited over you're only you're only going to have your, uh, your first video on. game once. So that's all right. And I, for all I know, I'm I could never work on another well, game too. potentially. <laughs> like who knows? So I'm just enjoying it, and you know, the next game that I work on could be like a a, a five out of ten, or it could be a mobile game that no one reviews. So yeah, the fact that it's been received well and the fact that, you know, beyond reviews, because as much as it's great to have good reviews, it matters way more what people actually yeah, for play sure. the game think. And the consensus has been very overwhelmingly positive and feedback has been super positive and people that I know like you and our friends have all had nice things to say. Uh, maybe there's some that have said nothing because it's, you know, better to say nothing at all if you can't say something nice maybe there's there's some of that going on too but i doubt it i'm pretty confident in yeah the game. I, you know uh, it was a nice luxury in a sense to be out playing the game essentially just leading up to this conversation not having to review it i i did i mean the code came through and i did pass it up because i felt like or the, the code specifically for the review i did pass it up because uh just conflicts of interest and all those sorts of things but sure um you're honorable i try try to be well I won't, I won't say I'm completely above board on everything. I'm sure. I'm sure there's mistakes <laughs> that have been made or will be made in the future. But I made sure I did the right thing here. Um, nice. So before we before we get to yeah again the the actual game development career so far, we should wind all the way back to some of your first gaming experiences. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what the first game was that you played? Uh, or some of the first games. I get asked this. Yeah, some. Oh, that's a better question. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely remember playing like Prince of Persia on a computer at a cousin's house i remember playing uh wolfenstein 3d at the school like in the oh, yeah. grade six classroom when, when i was in like grade prep like the first grade of the of the primary school so i would like i knew some of the big kids so i'm this i'm this five-year-old like sneaking into the 
to the classroom with the 12 year olds who are playing before school and like turning the monitor off as the teachers approach the the classroom so you probably it's a bit different now for teachers it's probably like closing the laptop screen or or alt tabbing out of it yeah the the problem those suckers don't realize is that i've been there done that and very very computer literate and i recognize what the alt tab means (laughs) i'll walk over and press alt tab on their computer myself and boom there's minecraft or whatever it happens to be (laughs) yeah not wolfenstein 3d no no wolf but the first like the first console game I remember playing was Sonic the Hedgehog yep. because we had a Sega, Sega Genesis. Mistakes were made. Not Genesis. We're, we're Australian. We can say Mega Drive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was that was the console that my my dad brought home, and a lot of a lot of good memories playing that with my brother. And uh, yeah, so so it goes all the way back to, I guess that early '90s generation. How did those tastes start to evolve as you grew up? moving beyond you know helping people to obscure wolfenstein and and all the sega, the sega <laughs> yeah. titles you mentioned there like what, what did you start to attach yourself to as you grew up any particular franchises or genres or even just isolated games mm. definitely remember like my uncle had indiana jones and the fate of atlantis on his computer and he must have I don't what's the it's you burn CDs I don't know what you do with discs like floppy disks but he must have copied the the discs for Duplicate? us and, I don't know yeah I guess and uh, photocopied the, photocopied the <laughs> manual because you actually need, needed the manual to start the game because there's like oh, they used the to have codes, like a password yeah. protection thing. Yeah, I remember that yeah yeah and it was like a little game like a little puzzle you had to like put in based on like what it said on the screen according to what's in the instruction book so nice little anti-piracy thing there but it didn't work because we had the photocopy of the uh the instructions they were a little bit hard to read on some pages but uh yeah Good that enough. was a big one because it was a Luke, yeah, LucasArts game and from there I think I got onto the secret of monkey island and eventually like grim fandango and uh, maniac mansion and that kind of thing so that those types of pc games were always floating around and i loved the the dialogue of them the story of them which has obviously become significant years later as a writer and from there like also just the playstation generation came along and again dad brought himself that or bought himself that for a birthday present but it was pretty obviously our console one Yeah, it was like he bought it and he had Formula One. That was the first game that we had. So that was for him and the demo disc was for us. And uh, that was that was where the love affair with PlayStation began, I suppose. So from there, you know, Metal Gear Solid, Final Fantasy VII, a lot of, again, story-based games that had influence on... All classics. My ri- yeah, on my writing through till now. Like whether it's the, the two novels that I've published, which definitely have a bit of metal gear inspiration in them and uh final fantasy 7 as i mentioned definitely an influence on some of the stories that are told in trigger which yeah good to hear so would you say that there's a game or collection of games even that kind of really put you on the path as a like game games are my or at least a big part sorry i should say of my life hmm. as my throat gets blocked up <clears throat> Yeah, you're getting all, getting all emotional talking about it. <laughs> yeah, would you say there's any, any game or collection of games there at all that really helped drive this uh, pursuit? To become a developer, do you mean? Well, 
I, I guess to an extent. Obviously, you got into the mm. the content creation space before actually working on development. I'd say yeah. that was probably even a big part of helping you to make that final step into the development sphere. But even just mm. as a consumer, was there anything that really like this? Like games are gonna be a big part of my life now because of this one moment. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that does make me think of of some things because my interest in games kind of wavered through like university and it was like the tail end of the PS2 generation and uh, it was really Metal Gear Solid 4 that got me to be like, okay, now I have to buy a PS3 so I can play it. And that was fine. Uh, It's not like one of the best games in the franchise, but it it was fine. But then it was Fallout 3 that I got that really went made me go wow like games have changed since I was paying attention like this is something new this is a new generation of experiences that I haven't yep. had I, I hadn't played Oblivion so I guess if people had played Elder Scrolls 4 then they would have had a similar experience a few years prior still a big jump but yeah I, yeah it's definitely a big jump in the way that it can tell st- stories and that kind of thing I reckon um, Fallout 3 and it's a game that I've put probably a couple of hundred hours into over the years with multiple playthroughs yeah, okay. and uh, not having like a ton of experience with the previous ones I loved the setting and I loved the humor and the pop culture references and that's probably something that's filtered through into the way that I, I write now like I, I love sneaking in easter eggs plenty as, of those in know, Witch, or, yeah. Or, yeah there's <laughs> <laughs> way too many uh as i look back i'm like wow there's a lot of pop culture references in here you know if you don't because you don't sit down and write like from start to finish you kind of piece yeah. it together over time and, and then when you look back at it as, as one continuous thing you're like hmm, it's kind of like it's a bit it's a bit much yeah this but, day uh, i wedged one or good, two it's in good here, fun and this other day i wedged one or two in here yeah and they don't feel like much at the time but, only, but then all of a sudden when they all come together and some things get cut around yeah. it all of a sudden but even but the, then i didn't think the it was good thing expensive. about yeah well the, the good thing about that is not everyone's gonna get every single reference yeah. so you might go oh that's from lord of the rings and then the next one might be oh that's a line from from monkey island or it's yeah. a reference to monkey island or it's a quote from billy madison or whatever it is and people might just miss it completely oh, for sure so and you're not always yeah. looking out for them either that's so, right yeah. that works and like it's it's not a uh it's not something that's unique to me at all like it's it's a very it's a very common thing in, in film like whether it's quentin tarantino who constantly borrows and steals things from yeah, sure. things he grew up with like even uh, a movie that is referenced in this game multiple times indiana jones like those movies and sequences and and stunts in those george lucas slash stephen spielberg movies were directly ripped off tv shows that they loved from like the 50s yep. the serials um, to inspire them to create that character so it's just my bit of uh i guess it's what's the opposite of paying it forward like <laughs> repaying the favor <laughs> like i'm pulling i'm pulling i'm i'm borrowing from them the way they borrowed from people before them i guess yeah it's uh it's an homage it's let's call it an that, homage. that'll work um <laughs> what about and it may not necessarily just be games and i think i have a rough sense of this answer and it's a, this is a weird one because i already as we've spoken so much over the years anyway but what about in terms of the mm-hmm. the content creation side of things and we are going to dive into your writing background and all those sorts of things as well but <clears throat> the content creation that then kind of led to or I'm sure played a big part in giving you the opportunity to work with Rainbite. 
where did that passion what first it, kick sorry? off? Oh yeah, sure. Uh yeah, like like I said, it was um post that PS3 launch, it was when I was starting to get more into games and starting to you know, podcasting was becoming a bigger and bigger thing and you know, you'd everyone back then probably would frequent websites like IGN to yep. look up cheats or whatever it was and that was when I discovered uh, Podcast Beyond and Greg and Colin that were a big part of that show as hosts and listening to Podcast Beyond is actually what got me into following video games as an industry. It was not something I'd ever considered prior to that point as far as like there's there's stories here, like there's this industry that's happening that's, that's interesting to learn about and like I wouldn't have been able to name the studio's for example, apart from like, yeah, I remember playing Crash Bandicoot and Naughty Dog's name pops screen, up yeah. at the start. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you, like I would have said like, oh, they went on and made Jack and Daxter, but I wouldn't have been able to like tell you anything really interesting about them or who was the head of the studio or any of that yeah. kind of thing. So Podcast Beyond was what fostered my interest in the world of games, not just playing the games themselves. And so from there, obviously... Colin and Greg left and started kind of funny as content creators. And, and that was a huge thing that got me into, I guess, the online community. That was the first time I experienced that uh, on social media, whether it was Facebook and Twitter or whatever. Uh, and so from there, just, I guess, seeing like the example that they'd set in creating content was probably one of the things that motivated me to, to get into podcasting and and that kind of thing as well as just like being a journalist for so many years at a, at a newspaper i was it's natural for me to want to like put things out into the world because it's just part of of who i am like even sitting here i've just done my first video game and i started working on that almost as soon as i'd released my second novel yeah okay. so i'm not really good at i'm not really good at just like doing nothing yeah and now that I've finished this game, I'm like, okay, what am I going to do next? Well, I mean, we, like, can we've, I get my we've seen into? you on, on Twitter just saying, hey, if there's anyone that's looking for a bit of writing, a little bit of freelance stuff, you know, and you're throwing the hand up. So yeah, it's quite that's clear it. there. Yeah, an unwillingness to stop, but not necessarily in an unhealthy way either, I'd say. Not that, I, no, like not that I'm there between the four uh, walls, but that's certainly my take the from kind the outside thing. anyway. It doesn't feel excessive. Yeah. Yeah, you get your taste for it. And then it's like, well, obviously I want to keep doing this because it's so much fun. Yeah. And... You know, I've got I've got time to do it. I've got the the energy for it. But yeah, so so that was really, especially like writing my books. That was something that I felt like, not that podcasting and content creation is on the same level as writing a book, but the the spirit of that, like you can do it yourself, kind yeah, of thing. Sure. With, with, with kind of funny, that was a really big uh, push into to, to deciding, like, yeah, like I have an online community that's very supportive of each other. I think that I can write this book and I think there will be people that will want to read it. So that was really what got me into creative writing, I guess, because I'd always done... I've done done podcasting in my reporting roles and I'd obviously written a million news articles and done features and opinion pieces and stuff. So it was... But yeah, it is a very different beast, I guess, in some ways. Yeah, completely, yeah. It was was a big adjustment and... um, I think after writing two books and a video game, I'd like to think that, you know, I've, I've made that adjustment by now and I know what I'm doing. 
but uh, you're always always learning new things with every experience. Yeah, so I guess let's rewind back to some of the journalism and those sorts of things. So you went, went to Deakin, Bachelor of Arts in Journalism there, and then I've, mm-hmm. I've got Sunraiser Daily, The Standard. Uh, you even did yeah. a bit of writing in the, like uh, for an electorate officer as well. You did a little bit of po- uh, political stuff there as well. Yeah. Now that obviously contrasts quite heavily with what I think most people listening today, and obviously you just kind of outlined a lot of that stuff there, or uh, what people know you for, but... What was that whole period like? And would it was? Uh, would you? Sorry. Would you like to get back into that in any capacity? Are you a hundred percent. Let's let's keep chasing this this nah. game's dream now. <laughs> That's behind me. To to like, I still obviously have to have a job that's not games because I did this as a small kind of side project and it's got to pay the bills. You know, rain, yeah, and Rainbow's a small studio. They've you know they they're paying me for my work which is great but it's not like i'm taking like a you know 25% share or anything yeah. because they did this full time i put a lot of hours into it but it's their baby um so yeah i'm i'm still working in the media i'm doing marketing communications and public affairs for a major health service in victoria uh, which is keeping me very busy during a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but as far as like working in general news as a as a news reporter, that's definitely not in my future. I don't think it's it's something that will always be part of me, and I'm always going to have that. I guess that that strand of DNA running through my body of you know working to deadlines and the the skills that I built in that time, I'll never forget. It's kind of like if you've played sport, like yep. if you've played footy and stuff, like you might not be able to play footy anymore because you're in your thirties and you you don't just, want your body to fall apart. Just not quite as fit as I used to be. That's probably the the safe. Exactly, way to put it. but you. But I think like part of but you I can pick up that ball and hit the that. target from fifty meters out without a concern. <laughs> don't <laughs> oh, tell me short. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like those movies you see with like the the American football. You know, like they're still wearing the championship ring forty years oh, yeah. later, and like they're they're massively overweight, but like they still think they're a football player. That's kind of what it's like for me with journalism. Where... You're telling me I need to pull out an old trophy of mine <laughs> just in the background. <laughs> yeah, I have I have no interest in the grind of of the newsroom anymore, but it's definitely something that's you know it just sits like like the animus in Assassin's oh, yeah. Creed. It's just like it's it's there. And it's it's part of who I am. It's part of my skill set now. It's it's um, definitely one of the reasons that if anyone gives me a job to do, whether it's working on Trigger Witch, whether it's podcasting, whether it's doing something for Brendan with Eight Bit, or it's in my professional capacity at work, if if I have a deadline, there's no way I'm missing the deadline, and I'll probably do it like straight away if it's something that I'm excited about because it's it's just something that I built up through years of. You have to write five news stories today, and here's two of them, and find another three by the end of the day. You know. Now, I'm sure, like, it's all well and good to say I'm not going to miss deadlines. Have you missed any? With with what? in any of these e- various ever? capacities, have have you managed to miss ah. one? Like, how how's that? Because sometimes that's such yeah. a steely steely sort of way <laughs> that you even presented that there. Like, have have you missed a target? And how's how have you hmm. responded to that? Like. Look, I'm sure I've missed a deadline over the years. Usually in journalism, if you miss a deadline, it's because something's out of your control. You're waiting to hear back from someone in PR. And but is that itself a bit of a struggle you. when you like you know that you've done everything you can and yet for whatever reason, again, maybe something out of your control, 
that yeah. has prevented you from seeing the project out or the job out. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is uh, a constant struggle for a reporter, but that's where I guess you have to be willing to kind of hound the other side and see like, like if, if I'm writing a story with, let's say the, the water, the department that, that provides the water yep. to my town, you know, I live in Geelong, so it's Barwon water. If I'm writing an article and I'm expecting them to get back to me by four o'clock and I haven't heard anything by three, I might send them an email or a phone call and say, how we going? Yeah, how's it going? Are you expecting it to to be ready? And if they say it'll be ready, then I can trust that. If they say, oh, we're not sure, then I have to think, okay, what's the backup plan? Do we hold it over to the next day? Do we say Barwon Water was unable to provide comment by deadline? So there's workarounds so that I can still meet my deadline yeah, okay. or I can still fulfill my you know responsibility. But no, I haven't missed a deadline as far as uh, the game development, and Long I haven't continue. missed a deadline, <laughs> and I haven't missed a deadline for like my podcast or anything either. Because putting in work every Thursday for two and a half yeah, years or whatever it was, yeah. Um, and same with comedy rewind being fortnightly. I haven't missed one, even when a kid was born. You know, you'd probably relate to to that yep. too. So. It's definitely something I pride myself on, and it's it's all it's also just like I can't allow myself to do it. Like it's for my own OCD, you know, if for lack of better term. Yeah, we're cut more from a similar cloth else. in this respect, I think. Yeah, it's like no, no. Let's be honest, no one out there is really gonna be like DMing you, like, "Hey, where's the podcast? It's it's eight o'clock and it's two hours late." Like, no one's gonna really do that. But for your own, you know, pride in what you do. That's really, it's really. Yeah, that consistency is something that, like you, keeping yourself accountable to yourself. But yeah, Yeah. it's not necessarily a bad quality to have. Um, There's a balancing act that I'm sure. Again, I I just said you and I kind of cut from similar costs clearly in that respect. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's got like that borderline OCD sort of thing has got gotten me into some tricky situations over the journey. Um, we spoke about that when I came on your show. So anyone wants to hear that on my side, you can tune in to put in work so we won't delve into it too deeply there. But like, it, it is a tightrope to walk at, at times, but yeah. I think ultimately makes for better product and like there's a respect that, from others that comes with that as well. Even if it's not, even yeah. if they're not going to come knocking on you and say, hey, podcast is an hour late or, or whatever. Hmm. I think everyone just deep down just appreciates the fact that you're reliable. Yeah, I agree. And it's it it's the kind of thing where you you have to accept that not everyone is that way and there's always reasons for things that don't happen and things come up and things are unavoidable. But um yeah, if if you can keep the streak going for as long as possible, then go for it. Like make that your thing. Yeah, yeah, keep <laughs> keep chasing it. It's it's worth it. Um, on that political side, so we mentioned that yeah, you are working uh, in the electorate there. You were managing mm. media and co- uh, and comms for a member. And make clarify for me if I've got this wrong. You were managing for someone who yeah. was a member in WA but based out here in Geelong. Is no, that right, or no, have I got so, it reversed? No, th- no, they were a member for Western Victoria. Oh, Western Victoria. So they sorry. Were, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, that's I right. butchered that not, completely. Not Western Australia. I was say, that's, yeah, that's okay. that, that struck me as weird. Okay, I completely butchered that. Then, but uh, that, that makes way more sense. Yeah. What about that? that time kind of working in that political sphere and again i mean that's i guess you would have seen Mm. parts of it anyway through your 
journalism side. Yeah. But um, yeah, for being sure. on the other I've, side I've of the fence, what was that like? It was interesting because that was my first, uh, my first work that wasn't as a journalist since university. Yeah. And so I guess in, in that way, it was my first delving into public relations. And I'm not really a political person. I don't really care about politics. So it wasn't the best fit, to be honest. I kind of just needed a job that used my skills in the the city that I live in yep. because my wife had got a job at the hospital. So it was it was never my intent to be like, oh, I'm going to work in politics for the for the rest of my life. It was life. a means to an end. Um, yeah, it was like get get my you know it's a good experience to have i knew that it would be a good experience to have it was it has been really useful to have that little insight into the way that government works especially working for a public hospital we're often dealing with department of health and there's a lot of politics involved so it's just good to understand that and i think it was also my first attempt at speech writing you know writing things that would be read out in parliament and end up in Hansard, doing media releases, doing social media, speaking in someone else's voice that's got a very particular, you know, personality or whatever it might be. And I think that all helps when it comes to creative writing as well because it's a similar thing where when I'm writing a media release for the shadow parliamentary secretary for transport and roads or whatever it is, like I'm basically pretending that I'm them and I'm trying to think like how would he say this or... You know, now with if I'm writing something that's going to be read out by our CEO, it's like, how would she talk about this topic? So, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, if, if you've got a writing skill in one area, there's there's creative ways to expand it into to other fields too, which yeah. is great. And I mean, all those skills are still essential to the game development side as well. I mean, you know, especially when you're working in mm. kind of the indie scene, it's like they still need to put out press releases. There's still that component, yeah. the social media component, of course, as well. And um, your uh, and I guess we'll focus on a little bit more when we're talking about some of the eight bit stuff shortly. But you're you know quite mm-hmm. active in the, in terms of your social media social media usage and the way that, like I, I even notice little trends in the way that you'll put your content out there and then kind of a, a rough timeline before you'll put it back out there again. So just kind of du- you double down <laughs> on it. But there's that there's that space yeah. giving it time to breathe. You're not bombarding people. It seems to me, and I could be completely wrong. It could be you just making it up as you go but it feels like there is a strategy there as well. Yeah, there is. And all of that stuff um, is is essential, I think, to keeping, especially within that small studio sort of scenario, keeping it ticking. Yeah, I mean, with social media, it's all a bit of a guessing game, really. Like, no one really, like, maybe someone does, but no one really knows what's going to be the most effective way to do anything. I just do what I think makes the most sense and what I like seeing from people that i follow Keeps popping in my feed so content it's creators <laughs> yeah yeah and like it's it's even going back to like when i was in journalism i was the online editor at the newspaper in warrnambool where i worked and we had like directions from head office basically like fair, at that time it was fairfax yep. regional media and they were like this is how you should you know tweet out your content or whatever and i was like mm, nah i'm gonna i'm gonna post more often than uh you know three times a day i'm gonna tweet out every single article that we do because we're a news outlet and that was you need to be seen I, and heard yeah and i felt like as an avid user of twitter i that i understood the platform better than 
whoever decided that. So I, yeah, I, I would have tweets going out every half hour and I didn't care if it was too much and people wanted to unfollow because yeah, I think if you follow a news outlet, then you want to see what the news yeah. is. Like, you know, you work for a website. Is there any articles that don't get published? No, there's... Even n- multiple times in some instances, I'm sure. Yeah, 100% there's stuff that'll get kind of yeah. re resharing or whatever the case happens to be. Stories get updated all the time. I mean, we, we made the comments before yeah. about COVID and kind of the numbers on a day-to-day basis, but like that... I mean, obviously that is far more important than what we're doing in our respective fields, <laughs> but it's still like we're still looking at this thing through the same perspectives. These things evolve and change yeah. and require updating at times and people want to hear about those updates as they emerge so mm. yeah and it's not the same yeah and I, I had like a formula in my head it was like on facebook i'll post every uh maybe every hour or two hours on twitter i'll go like every half hour yep because it so that so there's stories that i wouldn't put on facebook that i'll put on twitter and that was a very different point in what Facebook was. Oh yeah, uh, that's we're evolved. Talking a lot. Like we're, we're talking, we're talking like seven or eight years ago with this. So it, it's it, it's not going to be the same philosophy now. But my opinion was, you you can't post too much on Twitter. I still think the same thing. Like I'm going to be sharing basically every trig- trigger which article or review that's out there. And yeah, I see. If people. If people don't like it, they can unfollow me. But it's it's or just keep scrolling past. Like it's it's Twitter. Like if you you most people follow like five hundred or six hundred or a thousand. Yeah, it takes accounts, a tenth of a so, second to scroll past something if you don't want to see it, but it's not yeah. offending you in any way. Exactly. So, so it shouldn't be too hard. But again, all these things for, that we've discussed so far, really valuable skill sets and and that you've been able to bring to and potentially will still be useful in future endeavors as well. So we spoke about the content creation side of things before and and the mm-hmm. kind of funny community, how important that was. And I've, I feel like you're probably not too dissimilar myself in this respect that RTX in 2017 was kind of a big one in terms of some of that networking yeah. and maybe cementing yourself within the, within the local sphere a little bit more. Talk to me a little bit about, about that event. Like, I think a lot of us, well, we were both there for the same reason. Like, I think we got drawn to it by the kind of funny community in the first place mm-hmm. um, as being as avid we, fans back in the day. Did we hang out at that a, convention? I can't remember if bit, I met but you or not. I wasn't yeah. as flexible with some of my time over that period. That like yeah. It was kind of doubling up as a holiday with my... What was the timeline of everything then? Then, uh, then were we married yet? engaged I don't Say know fiance we're, we're together regardless so um, sure yeah now feel, wife yeah. Now, now wife now let's, wife let's, let's keep it simple yeah now wife um, yeah. and so like, yeah, yeah RTX we tried to it was, it was travel, a big so. one yeah it was um, it was the first community event that I'd gone to of like meeting people that I'd known online yeah which if if you've never done that before it's kind of a, a big thing uh, now it's nothing like yeah I, I see people at packs and stuff that I've known online. I was like, "Oh, hey, how you doing? Nice to, good to see you. So, oh, you're, you're you're taller than I thought. Whatever." Uh, but that was yeah, that was a, a great one because it it was not only my first time doing that, but it was the start of my interview podcast putting in work. I was able to get Greg and Tim from Kind of Funny. We had a big community meetup that was really fun to to kind of do that and you know, meet a few people with similar interests and out of that kind of spawned this network, Explosion Network, which is still running now, still 
doing things from what I know. And that was a, a like a, a great thing because it, it got me into, I guess, the um, content creation that wasn't just doing my interviews. Yeah. It was you got to collab- speak about collaborating with... And- yeah, collaborating with other people, getting to talk about games for the first time. Sport, as we discussed nonsense. before the recording, me coming on and talking sport with you and Jack. Yeah, yeah, Grandstand Gurus. Shout out to, to Jack Cruz. Uh, and made some friends out of that that I still have to this day in, in Jack and, and Tom in, um, in New Zealand. And also caught on to, to 8-Bit through actually going to kind of funny life that's where we met brendan and uh you know had obviously met nato at rtx and he was part of 8-bit after that so get, getting to to move over to 8-bit and making that my home of now three years on the internet basically uh, it's been really amazing being part of the 8-bit community and and just helping brendan build that into something that's been i think one of one of the you know it's hard because the internet's such a big place, but I think one of the standout outlets for Australian like personality-based yeah. content. We're not certainly not like player two, well played, and, and that that kind of no, thing. You're shooting in terms for a very like different thing. Journalism, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not there to to uh, critique every single. There's more game of an entertainment. It's, yeah, exactly, and and it's very broad. Where you know, comedy rewinds a podcast about movies. We're doing an NBA podcast. We, we talk about food a lot, and that's probably possibly becoming more of a focus in future content. Uh, but yeah, uh, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, RTX was the question. Uh, yeah, so like I said, everything kind of goes yeah. back to, to that convention. And uh, in some ways, that was the beginning of um, what led me into to being a game dev because RTX was the start of, of putting in work it led to in a roundabout way it led to me becoming a game dev because it's what got me crossing paths with Rainbite. yeah yeah of course i mean and not not to mention lots of other really talented game devs as well over the journey too but mm. but yeah, yeah. Ra- Rainbite being a being a key well i mean you you're writing and working on their games these days so super super <laughs> important through like that, that that lens but um as we start to creep into that game development side of things, but still focusing on putting in work, which is you mm-hmm. probably just kind of dropped that in there and moved on. But that is a huge part of, I think, what a lot of people know you for. It's massive endeavor for a long, long time. Um, as you said, weekly episodes for, would you say, two and a half years? Yeah, that sounds about and right. And you've still yeah. done several since. Um, what, uh, how many episodes have we hit I- now? Uh, one we've done one fifty. That's total. right. Because I was one forty nine. I was worthy of one. Yes, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've done one fifty episodes, and you know, aiming to do it once. I'm aiming to do twelve episodes this year. They're not going to be monthly because I've missed like the last one was probably two months ago, or there was a big gap between yours and one fifty. But by the end of the year, hoping to at least have have twelve done just because comedy rewinds the big focus as well as obviously being a game dev now and being a dad it's also a big thing yeah oh yeah (laughs) as you know little thing called being a parent (laughs) yeah yeah so i'd imagine and obviously you hadn't been working with rainbite when you first started working on putting in work Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you must have learned a ton i feel like it's kind of the same not that i'm actually working in the game dev scene yet but I, i feel like there's so much that i've learned from 
the developers I chat to here. I imagine many of the things you've learned over the journey from people you've had on on the show as a guest has mm. been really invaluable in some of the work that you've actually then gone on to do after the fact. Maybe you didn't realize it at the time because, of course, you weren't yeah. working in game dev. <laughs> but is there anything you kind of look back on that maybe someone has said as a guest on the show that you've gone, oh, hang on, that that thing or, mm. or that's like what such and such had said back in the day? Maybe not tangibly like what like what you've just said, but I think certainly whether they're in game dev or a rapper or an artist or a comedian, I think the people that I've had on putting in work over the years have really driven home the mindsets that you need to, to be successful. And that's really, I guess, what I, I hope people take from putting in work is you might not, you know, you might not want to be a YouTuber. You might not want to be, uh, you know, a news reporter or a TV personality or an author, but you might listen to my interview with John Safran or whoever it might be and think, okay, that's interesting the way that he approached that topic or what drove him to to start that project so i I think that the yeah the 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 ethos and the philosophy that the people and the advice people give it applies to anyone that wants to to pursue some kind of creative work well the the name of the show sums it up entirely and and it's yeah essentially like the 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 concept is that whatever you want to do if you want to make a game or make a movie uh it's going to take a lot of hard work and that's kind of obvious but i think hearing the stories of people going through those experiences and and realizing it's time to take a big step in this direction or another and um seeing kind of like the the everyday stories that they have to tell about what got them to that point i think that even as the host that that really over time just leaked into my approach yeah it becomes part of your dna well. Yeah, and, and like having talked to a lot of indie devs as well on the podcast, whether it was, you know, a couple of the guys from Rainbite when they released Reverie a couple of years ago or whether it was others, like before we were talking about Chasm and I had Ash from SMG on the podcast at one point. There's there's so much that you just learn. It's like it's like when an actor... Like like Matt Damon before he he filmed Rainmaker he went and worked in a bar for like three weeks just yeah. so that he knew what it was like to work in a bar because he'd never done it before. So I think when you talk to people, even if you're not actively listening and taking notes, like oh I'm going to be a game dev one day, I'm going to like take everything down. Like you just see the way that they approach work. You see that the way that they make things happen sometimes with no budget or with you know, limited resources, you see the way that they grind and the things that they work on take a really long amount of yeah, time. Sure. They have to be patient, patient. They have to work together. They have to collaborate. They have to be in charge of a specific task within that project, but also, you know, thinking about what other people are doing. I think over time, talking to people like that, you just kind of by osmosis, you, you soak that in. And that probably did help when it was time for me to, to join in as a, as a writer with Triggerwitch. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I'm sure if one day somehow I find myself in game development in any way, shape or form, I'm sure there's probably a lot that I've soaked in here that I've just, it's totally been subconscious. I've not realized that it's mm-hmm. happening, but that I'll be able to bring along with me. So anyone listening to the show wants to yeah, get me involved at some point, <laughs> I have interviewed a lot of people. I've clearly learned a lot and I'm 100% ready to go. 
<laughs> um, yep. Creat- next creative director of because uh, I've just learned a little, bit of this and a little bit of that from everyone. We're good. <laughs> so before we before we really dive into Rainbite here, one last point before we get to them. Uh, mm. We mentioned obviously creative writing, so that means Spy and the Maven and the Maven Effect, two books, two published books that you've worked on mm-hmm. over the years. Um, I've seen plenty, of, uh, especially before you got into the the game development space, and even before uh, putting in work got as big as it currently is. Um, you'd be you know retweeting or or responding to people who you know been full of praise for the book or whatever, and you were able to leverage the communities that you've been involved with as well. But mm-hmm. it really seemed like the the stories that you've written there have hit the mark with a lot of people. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I th- yeah, I think the people. It's hard, it is. It's kind of hard to say because so the first book was a huge crowdfunding effort and a lot of engagement with communities that I was involved with. Yeah. So there was a lot of feedback on that one, and people did seem to enjoy it. And it was written with those communities in mind as well which helped i think make a story that resonated with with the audience and the second one being the second one i didn't crowdfund and i was podcasting by that point which i wasn't doing when i when i wrote the first book so it took a lot longer and it was a sequel so naturally the audience was going to be a bit smaller and i had like honestly nowhere near the level of feedback for the second one yeah, okay. it was also was also released like the week before my son was born so i wasn't like out there doing like podcasts and promoting it and talking about it anywhere near yeah the baby bomb could go off at any moment elsewhere yeah and that was fine because at that point it was like almost more of a almost more of a i want to get the second one done and tick it off the bucket list and be proud of the journey it's taken because it was such a long process compared to the first one it wasn't something that i was and because like again the first book i was more naive i was more like who knows maybe i could become this big famous author once i put this book out maybe it will catch someone's attention and sell like you know ten thousand copies that didn't happen i'm happy with with how it sold but like i the second one was more just like a thank you to the people that enjoyed the first one here's another one here's me completing the story for my own sake i wanted to wrap it up that's what i was able to do and i'm really proud of it i think that it's a better book than the first one personally and i think it's been long enough since it released that i can say that without any like bias you know every musician thinks that their latest album's their best album yeah no sit sit back (laughs) and you're you're like uh, time to breathe no, no Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't think this is your best album ever. <laughs> I think maybe you, you peaked <laughs> peaked uh, a few years prior. But um, yeah, so, so uh, again, I've forgotten what the question was, but uh, I think I may have answered it. No, you, you absolutely answered it. <laughs> I'll just throw it in there. Any any thought to a third one? No, no, not at this point. I think that the story is all wrapped up nice and well. And it's the kind of thing where you can always bring it back and be like oh the, here's this other thing that, that nobody knew about what you didn't realize but, um, was going on with his grandma all along boom so. yeah it's like it's like the the alien movies where it's like oh actually there's a clone of the person and they, they're still alive yeah no uh i guess you could always roll it out but i don't, don't really have the desire to write another book like i said before like the, the same way that i said or maybe i didn't say this like journalism was my career for a long time it was never like the thing that got me up in the morning yeah. 
apart from the fact that I had to go to work, but it wasn't like I got up and as soon as I got out of bed, I was reading the newspaper and I was reading the competitive newspaper. Like I, I haven't been a news hound. I haven't been someone that lives and breathes journalism. It makes sense. I, I love, I love the art of it. I love the experience of writing. I'm more of a writer than I am a journalist. And that's why I don't miss the, the industry of journalism. And that's why I don't think I'll go back to it. Yeah, understood. And but by the same stretch, I am. I don't read a ton of fiction, and writing books was kind of like I wanted to. I would much prefer to write a movie, but how the hell do you get a movie made? Yeah, exactly. I don't know how to get a movie made. I don't have the money to fund it. I don't even know who to talk to, but I can write a book and I can self-publish it. So I, I basically did that. And now that I've had an opportunity to work in games and I love playing games and I play games all the time and I love critiquing the stories in games and I love the way that gameplay and, and narrative are interlocked and intertwined. It's a natural and fit. Speak. Yeah. And and now I'm just like, well, this is what I want to do. I don't want to be a novelist that sells 400 books. I want to be a, a game developer that sells 10 or 20,000 games and, and that's way cooler to me and it's way more rewarding and we're probably going to get to all this stuff in your next questions yeah. but uh it's just so much cooler i think it's so much more uh who i am i think than you know not that i, I didn't enjoy writing the books it's just games man this, that's what we're here to talk about like we love games yeah after and about 15 so, minutes we're so, getting there so <laughs> yeah it's like it's so much more accessible to be like you can download this game and play it and experience it versus here's a book. It's probably going to take you like 20 hours to read the book, but, uh, you know. And not to mention we're both parents these days. So there's a good chance you might try and lay down yeah. to read the book at night and you'll just fall asleep. Books pass <laughs> across your face. I've done it. So um, <laughs> that's just how these things work. Game, mm-hmm. it's an active experience. It's not going to happen. Well, it's less likely that's it. I mean, I, 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 I've me. started falling asleep in games. That's not meant to be a criticism of the game, people. Don't be. No, I've, I've, one of my favorite games of all time is Red Dead Redemption 2. And the first three nights that I played it, it was after PAX. So I was yeah, okay. wrecked. But I was falling asleep every single night playing that game. Yeah, yeah, Just, I've, I've uh, been there. I don't much, think it was Red Dead. But too, much, too much trouncing through the snow at a snail's pace in the, in the first act, I think. To be fair, I thought you were talking about the original Red Dead. And I was like, oh, you must be talking about Mexico. Um, no. So, Rainbite. Yeah. How did the opportunity first emerge? Obviously, you mentioned you'd had uh, members mm. of the team on the show in the past. How did the opportunity to actually start writing for them work? I know you 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 did offered to do a little bit of editing, but that's yeah. about the extent yep. of my knowledge. Sure. So, uh, Jared, who's the lead programmer yeah, over there, Jared Trail, former guest of Dev Diary, uh, and... And your own show, uh, Tom Butler. Yeah, sorry, and putting in work. Has he? Been? Yeah, I mean Jared's that's what I'm. Yeah. That's what I'm trying. That, that's what I'm trying to get at. So, <laughs> Jared Trail, lead programmer, and Tom Butler, who's the designer, like world designer. I can't remember exactly what his title is. Whatever um, you wanted to be an indie dev. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They came on. They came on putting in work to talk about Reverie, uh, because I had asked for a code. I played it. I enjoyed it, and being an in. Uh, indie team in New Zealand I thought this is a pretty cool game and a pretty cool story that these three guys just made a game straight out of 
of uni, basically. Yep. So they came on the podcast, talked to them, um, and I hit it off with Jared pretty well. Like we were PSN friends and started playing some games together. And I said this, I think, on uh, House of Mario podcast as well. Go check it so out. People may may have heard heard that too, but playing Division Two quite a bit in twenty. What year did that come out? Nineteen. Yeah. Twenty nineteen. Yeah, whenever it was. And uh, I remember Jared being like, oh, our next game is going to be a twin stick shooter and it's going to be in the kind of funny indie showcase. So that was that was pretty sweet. And just like knowing Jared was cool and asking him questions about game dev and kind of, you know, getting his take on games was really cool because I, I just think that when someone's a game dev, they have a different approach to playing games and experiencing yep. them and explaining why things are the way they are. And we might be playing a game and I'd be like, oh, what's with the menu or something? And he'd be like, oh, well, you know, it's probably because of this or that. So it was just cool. Like being it's friends with Jared was, was in, I found it interesting just playing games with him. And um, we just got along really well. And I said like, hey, if you want any help with the next game, let me be the script editor. Let me, you know, Reverie had some, text in it some dialogue it wasn't really story heavy yeah but there's npcs that you can talk to and tutorials and all that kind of thing so i just thought you know that'd be a cool opportunity and he was like yeah that, that's 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 cool uh, that sounds good and then i think a few months later towards the end of the year they hit me up and said well do you want to write the whole story and i was like yes i really do um I had been sussing out like different ways that I could get into game development and one after fell in my your lap. book had finished. And yeah, like I said, it, it basically did fall in my lap and it was, it was through, you know, having the, the books published and through the podcast and everything that had led to that point that I guess they felt comfortable enough to hand the reins of such a big thing over to me. But that's when it started for me was, yeah, the beginning of 2020, essentially. I started working on the game so what, in January. What yeah. sort of narrative back... Because obviously the, the game had been underway for a little while there. Obviously you mentioned like they mm-hmm. flagged it was going to be in the kind of funny game showcase and all those sorts of little things. And so it had been in development for a little while. What did you inherit in terms of like a narrative backbone at that point? Um, there's yeah. There's a key... There's a there's a famous figure that emerges late in the game that I, I wanted to pick your brain about in terms of whether whether that was your own idea or something that was were, were there a few like kind of key tent poles potentially that one included yes. um, that were already established and that you wrote around those or like how much freedom did you have from the outset? So when I got involved, there was what I guess what they call a game design document, yep. which is basically when I, I guess like this is this is how it works at Rainbite. I don't know if every studio is like this because my experience is limited to one but there's a document that's basically the bible of this game like here's what the perspective is here's the way that the game plays here's the the story and here's the the layout of the dungeons and here's you know whatever and I, I got a, got on a sorry let me say that again I got on a discord call with them and they talked me through the story that they had at that point which was basically there's a witch she has guns <laughs> she's got two friends there's a nice friend there's a mean friend there's a mum 
and there's a portal and guns come out of the portal and there's a, a mysterious man that shows up they called him at the time mysterious man and then there's a big twist near the end of the game so they knew they knew who a, that a mysterious spoiler. man was then we'll, yes, we'll try the, and dance the mysteri- around the specifics go check, go check the, it out people it is one of yeah. the greatest hard turns in a game i think i've ever encountered yeah so, so that was there from the start and uh from there on I, I, and there was like you know there's goblins to the north there's witches to the south and from there that was basically the story as far as i remember i don't think that that's selling it short uh the none of the dialogue aside from the tutorial section was there and even then it changed almost completely by the time i was done with it so yeah I, i essentially was there to fill in the gaps in between make everything work explain why the twist how it works explain so so the identity of this evil figure is revealed i had to explain you know their involvement why the guns were coming through the portal how does it make sense how is it possible you know why are these like and then from there i don't think they expected all of this but i wanted to make everything make sense so it's like okay why are there creatures attacking me everywhere i go why are there miners in the mine dungeon like what are they yeah, what are there they for where yeah where have they come from what's their purpose contextualizing everything. um yeah basically like making it feel like a world that is connected not just like you know you think about like games from the, the 90s whether it is legend of zelda which this game's much inspired by or you know Mar- like think about mario is a good example yeah. we don't know anything about the goombas or why they're it's been 35 there or years why and we still don't know yeah, or, or why these guys are throwing hammers or, you know, we just know that they work for Bowser, I guess. Yeah. Like, it's... Or King Cooper. It's not like... There's no lore, yeah. really. I mean, there kind of is in the more recent games, you could argue. Yeah. <laughs> Barely. Like Odyssey. <laughs> I think there's some. There's a bit of lore in, in Mario Odyssey. Anyway, um, it's just like, it's a game. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But I wanted everything to make sense because I love when, like, say, God of War, you know there's a quick travel system that makes sense in that world like you hold up a stone you walk through this portal it makes sense i really like that and i wanted to bring as much of that to trigger which as possible so you, there's still gamey things like you die you respawn that's not explained it's just a game mechanic yep. that's essential but quick travel and you know the way that the guns reload i wanted to make sure everything made sense in this world and that was one of my roles to kind of explain it. And at least if it's not like blatantly in the text of the game, I wanted to at least have my own reasoning for these things. So, you know, I talked to Jared about <laughs> like, why are there only females in this town? Like what happens to the males and who gets them pregnant like yeah <laughs> that's not like something that that we like write in a book in the game for people to read but it's, it's you could say ha- that it's having that knowledge it. in the back of the mind helps maybe drive other decisions and other forms of it does pop up that aren't totally directly down why why are there no men how are children like you know yeah but it <laughs> can influence other there aspects is, indirectly yeah yeah you're right and and there's there is little lines of like npc 
dialogue or like a note that you read on a notice board that hint at these little things and help fill out the world. It's all for the sequel. And, I see what uh, you're doing. <laughs> and, and, you know, some of those things actually informed the game design. Like the, the term narrative director is one that apparently gets thrown around a lot where it's not actually accurate to what that person's doing. Yeah, okay. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. I, I understood at a certain point that I was just the game writer or the lead writer. But after a lot of my work in the game was was done and I looked back and I was like, I kind of was the narrative director because there's so many things that I brought to the game that influenced the gameplay or the design yeah. or the environments. So, for example, the, the miners that I mentioned before, I came up with this concept that they had come from a faraway island and they're here because they have this craftsmanship and this expertise and they're here to to mine the gems so when you go to the beach area to the south of the map there's all these boats and that's because that's how they get to the yeah. island and when you you can interact with one of the the boats and there's a line of dialogue that talks about their ability to engineer and their craftsmanship so it's a small thing but it adds a bit of detail to the world that's not just oh there's this town full of witches they're all female but then if you go slightly out of the town there's a mine that's all men and with beards and like are we supposed to believe that they live you just take it for granted town yeah. with the village like you just you, you you could easily overlook that and think it's not a big deal but i wanted to make it makes sense so that yeah. was the way that i approached the game yeah and i'm sure there's still plenty of people that play through that and they go yeah look it's still not a big deal but and that's not in like some disparaging way towards you and your writing but like yeah. that's not necessarily what the what someone's looking for in that sense but those who are looking for that or just you know they've they've taken a liking to the experience for whatever reason they said they're trying to immerse themselves in it the fact that i'd like to think i mean mm-hmm. a- any question that anyone can can possibly think of you've most likely addressed in some way, shape, or form. Maybe, I've maybe, tried to, maybe you barely touched yeah. on it, but it's you know, <laughs> there's a lot of things. Maybe I won't, won't say everything, but a lot of the questions people might have, you've been able to address somehow. Yeah, I think so, and that's certainly what we tried to do. And I, I, I'd love for people to come at me with like law questions and see if they can stump me with you know, <laughs> what you know, where where do the who, who are the fathers to all these witches? I'd like them to ask me that and I'm, I'm sure I have an answer. Or why are there... Jono. Why are there shields running around the the nature strip like defending these other creatures? Like, I, I have answers. Jono, who are the fathers to all these witches? The miners. Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> they come to town, they impregnate the witches and then they just run back and to they the leave. Mine. Yep. If it's a boy, they take them with them. If it's a girl, they stay. That's my that's my understanding. Yeah, okay. That, you know, there's a there's it's a, a fictional there's a society. Notice... We'll we'll try not to <laughs> There's a notice board in the in the town and if you read it in the end game the notes are different. Oh cool. And one of the notes the, one of the notes says like attention witches, you know, the new arrival of the Asturian miners is due this week. Please no fraternizing as they are inducted into, you know, the mine whatever. Like Subtext, yeah, right. Fraternizing, it's it's there. If you want to read into it, I'm here as the behind the scenes. This is the dev diary. I'm telling you, officially in canon, in at least in my mind as the writer, the uh, the miners are the the fathers to, to these witches. No, that's it. Take it to the bank, everyone. 
Um, that's that's a really awesome way of looking at the whole thing. They're not the fraternizing and all that. I, like <laughs> the the whole big picture thing. Um, no, I mean I like that. There's really kind of no stone left unturned in this space. It, like anything you could endeavor to address, you found a way to address it. And I, I really appreciate that kind of commitment to what you're doing and this world that you're creating with a team. And I'm sure it's, as you kind of highlighted before, it's probably way more than what the rest of the team ever expected of you. But yeah, now I, I feel so. like, I mean, not the, you've obviously probably got a better sense of it having spoken to them in the lead up to launch and, and since. Mm. But um, I'd imagine like them looking back on the project now, they they would probably look at your role, similar to what you just said. There's There's a directorial component to what you've just discussed here that's kind of helped drive and steer the direction they themselves went in as well. And mm. the game would not be what it is without without that. And little things like dialogue options and those sort of things that ultimately still steer you down the same path, but just create this mm. kind of, I don't know, people have used it in the, in the context of more more of a traditional gameplay thing, but that kind of wide linear sort of storytelling, for example, that you know we don't have to just bulldoze down the one path and there's, there might be only little subtle yeah. tweaks that ultimately lead us to the same um, outcome but you can impart a little bit of your own personal flair on it as the player. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I think from, you know, reading reviews, it's, you know, I, I probably care more about what the common person thinks than the reviews, but people don't elaborate their ideas as detailed as, as the reviews. So that's an easy yeah. thing for me to, to, to take from. Both. Yeah, but um, from from reading the reviews, I was going to say it seems like a lot of people are surprised at the level of of story and detail that there is in the narrative, and like, oh, like didn't expect this. Like, it's it's the a smaller dev team, it's a cheaper game, it's very affordable, it's kind of a budget indie in in some ways, and I think for that price point, they just don't expect the level of detail that's in there yeah. and even which is even just kind of the tone that's been set by games that have come before of a similar-ish mm. sort of genre like we tend not to think about you know twin stick shooters or games that are very close to them yeah as being narrative heavy in any way and you know yeah. a little bit of dialogue choice and all those sort of things it's we don't we don't need to justify why we're doing what we're doing we're just doing it let's go out and do it and yeah there's been a lot of people comparing it to like an rpg in that sense because it and that's really one of the feels that i was going for was like a almost like a, a snes like final fantasy game yep. or something where there's these cutscenes and you're talking and there's characters that have their own side stories that you can uncover as you go about the different dungeons way more than like if you play like the legend of zelda link to the past an amazing game this has way more dialogue in that game and oh, it's not to say like quantity yeah. not it's not to say that quantity equals a better story but there's definitely a level of detail that we go into that's beyond a lot of of games that are close ish to the genre yeah. that people expect that's fair being new to writing for the uh, for the format though how did you know when kind of enough was enough in some ways like when you were potentially approaching mm. okay this is this is getting too wordy or yeah yeah you know, i'm expanding too much here i'm maybe trying to pump too much lore into this one particular aspect yeah well some would say that i didn't know when to stop because yeah there's yeah i mean there's been some people that haven't loved the story and others that have and i've watched a couple of streamers or youtubers who skip through the dialogue or they they try to read it and they're like oh it's going for too long come on there doesn't need to be this much dialogue but that's the kind of game that i think we wanted to make like i 
like I that's the kind of game I wanted to make and Rainbite didn't object to what yeah. I'd done so I can only assume that I speak for them too uh, and I think that if you actually care about stories in games then what we've done works really well some people just want to get to the gameplay and that's yeah. just the way that that some people play games and it's um i think something that we had in in mind as we were developing the game like there's a section where you have a log cut scene and it's the last dungeon in the southern area and then that goes into another cut scene and then something happens then you go into a different area and there's another cut scene so potentially depending on uh the way that you play the game you've basically you've basically got three long cut scenes that are strung yeah. together that wasn't originally intended so that was actually what motivated me to introduce the optional dialogue because i yeah. was like this is a lot of 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 talking and i don't want people to skip through it so what can we do we can give them a reason to slow down and read things by helping them shape the character yeah that also introduced like a mini boss fight this isn't too much of a spoiler but the first time you encounter the man in black there's a, a mini kind of in, interaction where you know you tr- you try to fight him basically yeah so that is a reason that got in, injected into there and then in the northern area again there's an arena that you fight in and that was going to be like an optional thing later in the game but again wanting to put some gameplay in between all these long cutscenes because after the arena there's another cutscene which would have been like four cutscenes in a row <laughs> so depending on how long you spend in the arena for some people it's a very long time yeah. uh, that actually breaks up all these cutscenes quite well yeah, so it sure. was a th- it was a thought of like how much is too much uh, can this section be shorter just knowing that some people will be wanting to skip through and not wanting them to say, I played for 15 minutes and didn't fire my gun. Because it's a twin stick shooter. We know that a lot of people... That's, that's what people are looking for. That's what they want. And watching like people play the demo, the Xbox demo that was up for a month or so before the game, some people from the get-go were like, give me my gun. Where's my gun? Oh uh, no, you so just got upset wanna... because I didn't pat a dog. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How could you? I hope you made up for it. <laughs> I did, yeah. I, I, was, I was paying far more attention as I was playing through the final build to find the dog. I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. Right, I should have really been able to pat that with ease. I see what Jono was talking about. And the turtle and the hamster and the bunny. There's lots of pettable creatures in this game. But yeah, anyway, that was uh, that thought of like, is there too much dialogue directly motivated those two sections, like adding the man in black confrontation and adding the arena into the middle of, of those scenes to break it up so yeah definitely was was on our mind and on my mind for sure well now in retrospect now that you've actually gone through and received some of that feedback are there any sequences and i guess we'll try and avoid the spoilery side of things but are there any sequences or anything that you feel like you would have that you maybe should have tweaked now that you've kind of received uh, some of that feedback hmm i don't i don't know it's it's hard because you try like you try to it's about balance right and it's about like balancing the this whole game is about juxtaposition of violence and gore with acute art style and 
dad jokes basically yeah. like it's it, it's it's a mix of like there's a there's drama and there's at my attempts at comedy which some people like and some people don't like and i think if i was to cut any of, of the, those cut scenes in half that would mess with that kind of balance yeah. and and the thing that i've been trying to say where like i want everything to make sense i want you know the reason that you have to save the miners in the mine i want there to be like a reason not just walk in and then be like oh can you save the miners like that would be a really simple task for a video game protagonist to have but, but you wanted more than that yeah i wanted more than that so that was really what it came down to was was trying to convey a reason and a motivation to the player in the story without dragging on for too long yeah. i guess so yeah it was a tension to kind of find that balance but i think the people that are like oh there's too much story or there's too much dialogue i think those people they just want a game that's just gameplay like that's the type of person they are and you can't please everyone like it's it's become abundantly clear from reading reviews and talking to people and uh watching people play the game that this game to some people is like a nine out of ten yeah or like it might be like their favorite game of the year and that's awesome that means that everything that we wanted to do was appealing to them and then there's some people that are like this is a five out of ten or it's a six out of a ten or one reviewer very clearly didn't get past the tutorial uh <laughs> it wasn't us a couple it was not us <laughs> no it was not play and then a couple i read another review today and there was one earlier that didn't like the gun control in quotes like message of the game which yeah, right. is a critique that doesn't resonate with me because it's not what the game's about but i think you know people will read into things as they choose and you can't control can't please everyone yeah you can't control what people like and what they don't like or what they think you're trying to say like if they think i'm trying to say that then i can't tell them that they're wrong because i could i guess they could argue that i could have made it clearer yeah. to them and, and not allowed them to take that reading so that's you know everyone's entitled to their opinion but something as simple as the shoot 'em up sections when you're flying with the broom there are people that are like oh it interrupted the gameplay loop and threw me off and i didn't like it and then other people are like i love the shmup section just the change of pace that i needed yeah yeah it's like the game was getting repetitive and then they mixed it up and i wish there was more shmup sections so that's a perfect example of just a person's personal taste being the the thing that determines whether it was a good decision to include shmup sections or a bad decision to include shmup it's nearly impossible to please everyone and get everything 100% right for every single person and their individual needs and desires it's impossible and like I I I have no qualms about reading reviews some people can't bear the thought of reading people critique their their work yeah but I love it I like I just can't get enough of it even if they're negative I'm like we can still probably it's an opportunity to learn something yeah it is um and the thing that I always come back to, if there is like there's there's reviews that are five out of ten for this game. There's mostly around eight out of ten, which is fantastic, I think. And the thing that I always come back to is I think Polygon gave The Last of Us a six out of ten. Like 
that's one of my favorite games ever. You beat the and last of us. No. <laughs> no, he's going to get Polygon well, Poly- to review Poly- it, so we've got that directly. Polygon hasn't right. reviewed it. Yeah. I'm going to just kind of quickly Google Polygon <laughs> The Last of Us review to make sure that I haven't slandered them unnecessarily. No, there no, was... That- they gave it a, an 8 out of 10 there, there was an outlet I, I do recall there was one outlet that was an yeah. outlier back in the day and they were a high profile ones so sorry Polygon it wasn't you we, we didn't mean yeah. to offend but there was someone out there that was they were yeah, very you much know the, what odd, I'm the odd one out the outlier and, um, it was like 10 10 10 10 7 or something or 6 and yeah yeah it was uh, you know knowing that there are people that um, I can see The Last of Us got 7.5 on polygon anyway that's the one i think yeah anyway the the point being even a game that i think is perfect some people will be like no it's problematic or no it's too long or it's too short or it sends a bad message about violence xyz yeah yeah so or spider-man shouldn't be friends with police in spider-man it's like okay that's your opinion and i disagree it's great game like you know what i mean like i I just know that that's the way that the internet and gamers are and it's the same reason that a a movie that uh even you might love the first time you watch it you might watch it 10 years later like we do on comedy rewind and be like that movie's not great anymore so even even the individual's personal tastes can change and 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 will so yeah, it's an important one to kind of keep in mind, I guess, as you're developing and then, then when you're analysing after the fact. Another thing I wanted to focus on when it comes to the game was mm. another discipline that you engaged with, which is a sound design sort of role. Yes. Talk to me, like, how did... I mean, you got brought on to edit. You eventually wrote the game instead uh, instead mm-hmm. of just simply edited. Um, but how did, how did your responsibilities pivot into some sound design work? I think... It- came out of my restlessness to be yeah, honest okay. i was <laughs> in the same way that i'm now looking for my next project because i've you know this game's been out for two weeks and that's long enough for me to be like okay what else got a nervous do? like anxious tick yeah yeah i'm like tapping my, my my leg like okay what's next i think i my work on the story was done mostly like there was little bits and pieces that were tweaked along the way and rewrites and edits and were changing that section so you need to add some dialogue or we're introducing a casino into the game yep. or something like that so there were things that picked up along the way where i had to continue writing and i was editing right up until like post-release i've done like fixes to, to certain things uh but like i said most of that was done and i wanted to help with the game and sound design was something where I think so so Rainbite did have like a library of sounds available yeah. that they would be pulling sound effects from but it was kind of a generic like a lot of generic sounds that they they weren't custom built for the game sometimes they might be too long or they might be too short or whatever it is so I really think it started for me with Final Fantasy VI, loving the way that Kefka, Kefka is introduced as the villain with the laugh and wanting the mysterious man slash the man in black in Trigger Witch to have a laugh when he's introduced to the 
to the player. So she, know, knowing who that mysterious man is, if if he'd have had the Kefka laugh, I would have lost <laughs> my mind. Yeah. So he does have a laugh that you hear when he's introduced each time, and that was the one of the first things that I was like, as the as the I guess becoming the narrative director, I was like, this needs to happen. There needs to be a laugh when he's introduced, an evil ha ha ha, like an evil laugh. So I built that out of whether it was finding like some sound resources online or, you know, making my own version of it. And from there, I just started, I got permission from, from Jared to, to do some sounds that would save them time. It was basically just a time-saving yep. exercise for them. And uh, ended up redoing all the gun sounds and the monster sounds and even things that originally they didn't intend would have sound effects like ambient noises so the different areas you go through the game you're going to hear birds and you're going to hear swamp noises and creaking in the mine and thunder and and stuff when you're in the castle so it was about creating uh as like for us as much sound like realistic sound as possible the game has a 16-bit visual look but all the sounds are real life noises basically yeah i was gonna say you didn't have that same constraint yeah so it doesn't have like 8-bit sound effects you know apart from like you pick up a gem which i can lean into that a little bit gamey kind of thing um but yeah like the grenade launcher and you know reloading a flamethrower or emptying a clip or barrel off the revolver like we wanted these real sounding effects and then magic effects extending to like when you know, you break down a, a magic barrier or when you enchant a broom, a flying broom or something, like there's all these effects to make that weren't custom built to the animations. So that was something that I was able to do. And I had so much fun doing it that I just continued to, pl- like as I got to play the game, I was like, oh, there's a section where you walk up some stairs. Can I make a sound that sounds like walking upstairs? Yeah. So it just got bigger and bigger to the point of like oh we need to have a sound for you know opening the door or we need to have a sound for a bunch of these things that especially in their first game reverie they just wouldn't have bothered to yeah of course yeah it was far smaller in scale yeah and 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 the more we did it got like glaringly obvious like oh there's no sound for this but there's a sound for everything else like there's an elevator in the mine and when you get in it, there's no sound. There's so like a point of no that. return, right? We've yeah, now I've committed, much. I've got to go the whole way. Yeah, and I love doing it. Like it's, I love like the behind the scenes stuff you see in Hollywood of the guys with the coconuts making the horse sounds yeah, and all the cool. foley work. And it was really fun to just muck around in this study, like during lockdown as well last year, just trying to like, okay, if I'm if someone throws a, like the start of the game a gun comes flying at you out of the portal what would a spinning gun sound like so i've got a bit of rope and i'm like spinning the rope around and trying to make all these these sounds like popping the my finger in the top of the beer bottle to make the sound of like a canister coming yeah. off the the flamethrower and just and they all trying great, to by the way. oh thank you um just trying to to do this and and combine noises to make like what does a dragon sound like you know i've got a cockatoo mixing it with a crocodile and a lion and, and just the elephant noises given the circumstances though the lockdown and the fact that you are somewhat 
kind of constrained in terms of what where you can go and what you can do. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, I don't, I'd imagine you don't have every single you know piece of equipment related to just you know walk out there, for example, and have things strapped to your back and do things like what you might see <laughs> on a AAA sort of level where they can just yeah. Like, how did you manage to replicate some of those some some of those sounds? Because some of them I just I can't think of how it'd be possible. Yeah, there's some things where you're making sounds in bottles. You know that that makes sense mm-hmm. and that's very easy. Uh, well, sorry, not to degrade the whole thing. But like there's a, there's a, there's an easy through line that I can see there. But there's others that I look yeah. at and go, how like how? <laughs> what was yeah, the most well, creative thing you had to get up to? I don't have a shotgun lying yeah. around. So but, you can't really replicate that easily, can you? No, but uh, there are free resources online. Yeah, okay. there's, there's a website called freesounds.org, which I probably should donate some money to because I borrow, I downloaded so many <laughs> sounds. But it's essentially like a, just a, a library that every day people like you and me can just upload yeah, sounds. Right. So if it's like, it'll just be someone recording like a rock quarry or this is the sound of a, you know... Uh, Winchester rifle reloading so you, you can just like look up anything on there and mess around with it to try and make it into what you want it so, so it that was really handy yeah so that was really handy for like animal sounds and that kind of thing I did record like birds and magpies and stuff as you're getting around the southern part of the map you'll hear some familiar Australian uh, animals which is which is kind of cool and a nice way to inject some local of, flair of yeah local flair for sure um and you know i've told the story on some other podcasts but recording the sounds of my my kid crying which was used for the death of many a, a creature in in trigger witch and uh, i love that little bit of uh my own dna is is in the game too yeah i've heard you mention yeah quite literally um <laughs> I, I've heard you mention that one in other interviews so far and I haven't gone back to the game since then because I'd already finished yeah. and I got the platinum I'd done everything I could do with it um, but I'm going to have to go back at some point with that little bit of knowledge mm. that it's your, your kid is there that, like, and it's a, of all things a death sound effect but uh, yeah. I, I'm going to have to pay closer attention to that going forward maybe even just re-watch one of our player two plays or something like that to to listen back to that and go, oh my god, <laughs> how yeah. did he do that? Yeah, if you if you turn the the music, the music's all amazing, so I can't really tell people to turn it off. But if you turn the music down and shoot any of the imps, then you'll hear little uh, up or down pitched Micah crying. <laughs> <laughs> Was there were there any other little roles and just kind of assorted miscellaneous things you took on over the journey? I did cut together the trailer, the initial yep. trailer for the game, which was, again, me being restless and wanting yeah. to contribute in some way. And they do have East Asia, Asia uh, sorry, East Asia Soft, the publisher, that would have done something if I hadn't. But I had a very specific view of what it should be, and I had thought about it so much that I just wanted to do it. And Is it a little I think bit like I wrote this story really well. and here's how I pre- imagine pitching it to the world? Yeah, it's kind of it's. I guess it's kind of being a control freak over something that's not actually mine to control. So I was very mindful of like, especially like having all this experience with promotion and stuff. Yeah. I was like, okay, I feel like I know how to promote this game, but it's not mine to promote in a sense. So, you know, asking for permission from rainbite i i pitched it to them i um got a voice actor to record the um 
the intro like there's a little there's like three lines of dialogue at the start of the the trailer and uh yeah just making sure that, that it was what they wanted really was was the thing so that's fair yeah it, and and getting to work on that was awesome because i could just work so closely with with you know jared and the other guys on the type of gameplay footage that i wanted them to record for me i think if they went to some kind of external source they probably wouldn't have been able to have that back and forth of like yeah, can makes you sense. replace that clip that that footage wasn't recorded at 60 frames can we switch that out to yeah they'll just take the footage and they'll assemble stuff. whatever they whatever they deemed yeah. to be the best based on that and they don't have yeah. that that ownership i guess in the same way yeah and, and i knew exactly the things the different features that we wanted to highlight um and how to present them i think so i think even east asia soft like as the publisher who i haven't had anything to do with them really but they've been really supportive and amazing and involved in in promoting the game but up until that point it's hard to think that they would be as familiar with it as yeah for sure as 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 me and, and jared for example oh you, you you can't be as close as the people who are making it so yeah. are there any other disciplines that you'd love to obviously as as we discussed before you're still putting the feelers out there to see if you can engage with other studios or developers in mm. whatever writing capacity is going forward is there anything else that you'd really like to just dip your toes into and try out I mean I'd love to say like voice acting but I don't think it's it would be like <laughs> I don't know it, it, it would be just like a I wonder if I can do it kind of yeah, thing okay. I'm not like I'm not like saying like hire me as the protagonist for your next game or anything um but yeah, it'd be like I just love doing things that are different, so that's why I love doing the sound design. You got a so good much. sample you can give us now. <laughs> <laughs> I might have a reel. I might have a reel. Oh uh, yeah, already just already do a really locked good, in the vault just in case. I can do a really good Australian accent. That's probably the best thing that I have to offer. <laughs> well, it kind of helps live, living in the yeah. ballpark for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's one. Of, like I said, that was one of the reasons I loved doing the sound design was because it was such a novelty to me. Like I've yep. been a writer for so long, I've written books. That was that's my skill. But sound design is something that's that might really be the only time I ever get a chance to do that. So I'd love to do more. Um, I'd love to to be involved in in writing in any at any level, whether it's law tutorials like trophy lists i got to write the trophy list yep it's just like it's just so fun to be part of it and if it's a, a great game it's even better so you know i know that for example uh naughty dog has this amazing creative director in um neil, neil Druckmann, Druckmann who 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 writes the story of the last of us part two with maybe one other person but then you have all these other writers that come in and they do the collectibles and they, you know, there's the little, there's the cards that you get yep. in the game, the superhero cards, and there's like a little bio in each one. And then you find a note and the note is written by the person that used to live in the house before, you know, the that world. environmental storytelling. Yeah, just that kind of stuff. So I'd love to flex the creative juices and that's combining some... <laughs> concepts that they're really good i'd love to get the creative juices running and flex the the creative muscles i guess yeah <laughs> and uh, and 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 try some different levels of of storytelling through law and that kind of stuff more 
because in a small game like Trigger Witch, you don't really want to just dump lore on people, and that's why we we managed to keep it mostly to the one book that's optional for you to read about the history of of the world. Uh, and in a, in a bigger game, I think you know, The Witcher Three, Skyrim, like there's literal books that you can pick up and just read if you want to. And then so, they go uh, yeah, and publish actual books outside of that as well. Like it's it's crazy. Yeah. So I mean, I I just love game development and being involved in that collaboration of, you know, gameplay and sound and and writing. So even if it was a small thing like doing collectibles, like I'm just I'm just here to be. I just <laughs> I'm I'm up for whatever. I guess You're a sponge. is what I'm saying. You're so, happy to just yeah, soak like, up anything and try anything yeah like why not it's it's so much fun and there's uh it's it's such a good feeling to be it, it's it feels like you're part of a a team like i know that rainbite is the dev team i'm a contractor but there's such a, a cool sense of camaraderie as the game's released to to be part of that and going through it together and it's like being in a band or something you know and you know it, it'd be cool if the band could get back together again and and put out another album or whatever but uh, sometimes you know people go separate ways and there's no guarantees with um with creative projects so i'd love to work with rainbite more but who knows what, who knows? what comes next after the ps5 patch is definitely coming it's a pc port that's likely to happen at some stage as well yeah great but um yeah but between now and the end of the year i'll definitely be putting the feelers out to, to try and find something else to do. I mean, you you won't be able to name any specifics. Like, I'd, I'd imagine I don't blame you at all. Have have you got any little ideas in mind? Have you seen or heard of things where you're like, I, I need I want to reach out to them because they're kind of maybe a dream studio or mm. or I just love the look of this project and I'd love to be involved with that somehow. Have you got a few in mind? Have you had anyone entertain a DM that you might have yeah. dropped or anything like that? Yeah, there's a. Australian studio that I've been talking with, uh, that you know, that one of the people that works there about working with them, and I've even like done a little bit of a writing test and yeah, okay. si- signed like NDAs and, and stuff just based on on having some information about the concepts in the game, uh, but that hasn't eventuated into like a, a paid opportunity. It's more just uh, it's just good to have that connection i guess yep and um potential to have something down the track maybe but i'm not counting on anything and beyond that there's definitely another game that i could be involved with with a, a, another studio that's not ready for release anytime soon it's yep. probably a few years out um but have been talking to, to someone there so you know th- there are things that i could potentially be jumping in on which is exciting that's yeah, um, good to hear but yeah, when you're when you're so keen and and uh, motivated to to do more of it, the idea of something coming out in a few years is like, ah, oh, is there anything you know what about now? before that? <laughs> yeah, what about right now? Um, and it's it's also I feel like the kind of thing where I could definitely work on multiple things at the same time. Like it's not like yeah, and that may be uh, just the nature yeah. of the role a little bit too. Well, yeah, and the the thing is like because i am on like i have my foot in the door but i'm not like a known quantity yeah i'm not going to be getting any like full-time writing gigs at this point like that's 
not even really what I'm looking for. Yeah, and, and like I have a job that I like. I work at you know the hospital, and that's cool, and I enjoy that. I'd love to, especially when there's no do... pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to be able to be a game dev full time. That would be amazing. But the the steps to get there, and the I guess the um, you know being realistic, the the opportunities, and the job security isn't exactly something where I'm going to quit so I can work on a game for six months and then the game's finished or the studio goes under. And then you're like... out of a job again. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's not um... easy to just walk back to a hospital and say, "Hey." Can you take me back? That, yeah. So so it's 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 kind of looking for these these specific jobs that are like, you know, maybe it's one day a week or half a day a week or just work on it for six months in your free time, like it was with Trigger Witch. Yeah. Where although that was eighteen months, uh, where yeah, that's really the the type of uh, arrangement that, that would work for me at least. So yeah, it's it's gonna be difficult to find the perfect fit because trigger which were friends and they were very flexible with you know they weren't like we need you to work 15 hours a week it was just get it done basically yeah here's the list of jobs and uh have at it (laughs) basically yeah so as we start to wind things down let's cycle back to you as opposed to the projects themselves is there anyone out there whether it's in the game development space or or external to that that's really inspired you and the the way you go about your work Hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, it's hard to, to know because it's, it's so difficult to say like, oh, I love the way that, uh, you know, Amy Hennig did this on the, on Uncharted 2 because I don't really know exactly what she did on the game. Yeah, you we, just only, kinda, we only hear things. Yeah, yeah so you just kind of get these, like, oh, what did Ken Levine actually do at, uh, you know, rational like you, you don't really unless you're there you don't really know so it's hard to to be able to say like you know i'm inspired by these specific people yeah but i mean i can talk about games that i love and i can talk like i just mentioned ken levine and i mentioned neil Druckmann, and you i mentioned love, kojima before and yeah kojima and yeah so like there's a, a lot of um of, of great people that uh, i know like if you know their name it's because they've done great work like yeah it's and 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 often that it's like they've done great work in storytelling especially the people that we just mentioned they're some of the biggest developer names that we have and the reason that we know them isn't because they made overwatch or something where it's like a gameplay you know it's it's not resogun like you don't know who the person behind resogun is you know the people that that came up with these amazing stories no offense to both uh all the writers at both blizzard and at housemark there (laughs) Yeah, especially like, those at Blizzard, you're having a rough time at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I love uh, Resogun. Yeah, it doesn't have a story as far. No, as No, it's I not know. what you're there for. Yeah, <laughs> no. So so say the last humans. That's it, um, and you know, shout out to Housemark also for the story in Returnal. It's fantastic, yes. is my opinion. But I I guess what I'm saying is that it's it's when when a story comes out that inspires or captures people's attention that's when we go oh who's behind this um, yeah. and that, and that's when that's when we really get to know these these Corey Barlogs and, and and whatnot so yeah I think and the ones that are really at that pointy end also are the ones that have got a it wasn't a one-off either they've they've consistently yeah. been able to do this and they've, they've they've become world builders not just a narrative or the writer for this one game they've they've really mm-hmm. created a whole world and 
not yeah, necessarily absolutely. as in the world of Uncharted, for example, if we use Amy Hennig, but like I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. the people within it, it's the the stories that it's told, it's the environmental storytelling, it's you know whatever. It's not just this you know had a cool general plot. It's everything around it. Yeah, absolutely. So if I had to pick someone, and maybe it would be like a Tim Schafer or um, someone that was heavily involved. Uh, in in some of those early LucasArts games that I mentioned at the start of the podcast, um, Ron Gilbert, you know, people yep. that that were a big part of Monkey Island and the way that that brought humor into games, which is such a hard thing to to pull off. And and people mentioning in game reviews that they've enjoyed the humor in Trigger Witch has been such a relief because humor is hard to get know, right in any format. It is, it is, and I know like. Uh, Colin Moriarty who's been on this show has talked about like avoiding humor in the games he's released so far because it's so hard to convey and um and I think he's a funny guy I think he could actually do with adding a a bit more humor into his games but um that's where I'm proud like obviously some people aren't gonna like the puns and the dad jokes or however they want to describe some of the humor in trigger witch but a lot of people have really dug it and I, that makes me feel good because it's so hard especially when you read it like a thousand times to go like is this funny or have i yeah. just like is it just funny to me and no one else and i'd even uh, imagine there's still a big difference between say me you know turning around saying hey this was pretty funny because you know we've obviously got a pre-existing history and there's there's an understanding yeah. there of certain certain humor or a certain approach or uh, mm-hmm. As I as I noted them in my my book here before we started re- uh, recording, they were called Jonoisms. Um, but <laughs> e- e- even just little reference to certain things, like oh yeah, okay, I, I get it because he's a he's a big Blink fan, or he's a, a you know a fan of Colin, for example. So there was some sacred mm-hmm. symbols references in there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I'd imagine hearing that from Joe or Jane Citizen, mm-hmm. that's a whole other thing where they don't have that background. They haven't consumed yeah. putting in work or comedy rewind or any of your other you know podcast work, and they've they've picked up this game, and all of a sudden they've thought, "This is phenomenal." Yeah, I don't know if anyone's mind. I don't know if anyone's used the word phenomenal, uh, but <laughs> there's definitely I'll send a few memos out there for you. Yeah, there's definitely been like some some feedback and some reviews where I've I've read them and I've been like, "Wow, this person actually." gets it and th- and that's been really cool like just to see that you know it's not just resonating with me and my friends like it's it's uh you know, it might be a, a screenshot of someone being like oh lord of the rings reference or like it's a japanese tweet that i translate on google translate <laughs> in in the twitter app and it comes up like they're talking about like a skyrim reference or something from an npc yep. so it's being appreciated not just by um you know people i know but people in different cultures and everything there's actually a a, um yeah it is really cool that that element of the international um appeal angle to this but i actually have highlighted a a quote here from uh stackup.org that gave the game a good review and they said one aspect i was absolutely enamored by was the awful dad jokes so backhanded compliment, sure, but I'll take it because it's set as a yeah, positive. I think, I think we still know what they're getting. Like everyone likes a bad dad joke. Like that's not. Yeah, yeah that, there's definitely no criticism to that whatsoever. In yeah. fact, if they were good, if they were good dad jokes, you're not doing it right. 
You're right. That's a, that's a good thing. There's no a such thing dad, as a good dad Bad dad joke. joke is a good dad joke, I think. I guess I didn't realize that they were dad jokes, though, until I read that. I was like, And then I thought back, and I was like, okay, I guess. I mean, I am a dad, <laughs> so story checks out. The, the, the question for you is, were, were you making these jokes before children or only since? Like, that's... Yeah. Yeah. I, I, guess, I'm, I guess it's just easier to make bad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but look, it probably probably works more often than not. What have been some of the most valuable lessons that you've picked up through this time? You've obviously consumed, mm. as you mentioned, you know, from from listening to Beyond back in the day and getting a getting a bit of insight into how studios worked back then, mm-hmm. to everything along the way, and now this point where you've been working for Rainbite in a contract capacity. Sorry. Um, yeah. What have been some the of lessons. the most valuable things that you've picked up from that time now? things that maybe surprised you even yeah i think just the concept of collaboration on this like everything i've done before this it's been me it's been yeah whatever i wanted it to be like whether it's the book or a podcast or editing a video review or something for 8-bit like my opinion ultimately has just been the one that mattered yeah so okay. to, to write something and be like is this what Rainbite wants or you know is is yeah like that has been the biggest thing for me to adjust to and 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 there might like there's also just been things that are in the game that i would have done differently or it might be like a boss that's uh, animated a certain way or, or designed or looks a certain way that wasn't what i pictured when i wrote a scene but that's what rainbite decided to do so whether it's me just having to adjust to that and maybe go back and, and change a line or two or me just having to be like, cool, that's like your vision for the game. Like that's probably been the thing that I've had to get my head around is just like, it's not my game. I've, yeah, I've check your the vision story. at the door. There's still yeah, there's, there's I, a I, I, yeah, I kind of, exactly. I kind of have to just be like, at the end of the day, it's Dan, it's Butler, and it's Jared, like their rain bite. It's their logo at the start of the game, and they're just paying me to to write the, yep, the story. So I don't have ownership over it as much as I like feel some ownership over it. I don't actually have that literal yeah. ownership. Yeah. So so it's 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 making sure. And again, like an example would be like earlier in like the first draft. I had Colette being a bit more feisty, especially yep. towards like Remy, who's like the kind of rival and yes. who's a bit mean to you. And they were like, no, like Colette needs to be nicer. Like she needs to be more likable. She needs to be as the protagonist, almost like more, Untouchable in a way. Yeah, more of a, a Mary Sue to use like the, yep. the film terminology of a character that's kind of plain ultimately because they don't have flaws and i don't think that colette is that i think that she goes on an arc where she's kind of you know humbled through the story and has to adjust her expectations but i really wanted to make her like almost like a privileged rich kid that has kind of always succeeded without trying and then she gets hit even harder so yeah, and, and, and we found a balance for that, ultimately. And that's what the collaboration's about as well. It's me presenting 
or, or them presenting an idea, me presenting my vision, and then adjusting it to what their original vision yeah, was. Yeah, find the sweet spot. Exactly. And I think that where we landed was really good. Um, I think that it's hard in a pixel art game to convey like subtlety of characters sometimes and we don't have voice acting so that's also another yeah thing that we don't have compared to other games yeah and so within those constraints i think we did a good job and it it might pay to just have it kept a bit more simple with that and that's perhaps coming from their experience i think it's just a case you need to keep working on that those voice acting chops so you can just fill in all the gaps (laughs) next time right yeah i mean i I did (laughs) voice the met I did voice the man in black with his what 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 what, but uh, I I didn't I haven't got the uh, the witch dialect down yet, so we'll get there in time for that sequel that I'm totally making up here, and I'm not. There's nothing that I'm sharing for anyone. (laughs) Don't worry. And then if it happens, I'll claim that I knew all along. Sure. Um, (laughs) A couple little looser, curlier ones as we wrap things up. If you could be credited for any game in any capacity. You don't have to be the the mm. Kojima of this title, for example. You just oh, I might have even just lent into Metal Gear there. I don't know if that's your answer, but <laughs> if you could be credited for any game in any in any capacity, what game would it be? Oof. Even yeah. special thanks. Special thanks even cuts the mustard. I think The Last of Us is the game for me. Like that's the game that for what I said about Fallout Three changing the way that I saw games in the start of the PS3 generation. Yep. The Last of Us is probably what changed it again. And the way that it changed my view of games is still held. Like, my view yeah. is still the same now as what it was in 2013. Because that game, to me, was so ahead of its time in narrative storytelling. And still is in a lot of and, ways, too. Yeah. And that is, like, what I would aspire to be part of something that's, like, a project to that level. I don't, I don't think that I will because... Who knows? Working, don't rule it out. You know, Naughty Dog is not. I'm sure they're not. They're exactly a tough egg to crack. Looking for uh, you know remote writers in Geelong, <laughs> and I'm not particularly looking to move to the to the uh, you know west coast States, of uh, yeah. of the USA. But anyway, uh, something with the emotional impact of a game like that. Let me just say, like to to be able to work on something that hits those notes. And has that effect on people like that impact, is something yeah. that I'd love to do, yeah. And um, excellent choice. You know, if if I was if I had re- released or written a line of dialogue in a game like that, I would be strutting my way around the world yeah, <laughs> for for quite a while. <laughs> that would, uh, yeah, puff the chest would, out and off you go. I don't blame I'd, you. I'd be um, unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> Another curly one. Uh, if you yeah. could strike any one game from your memory, and it might end up being the same answer here, if you could strike any one game from your memory and get to replay it for the first time, what game would you like to do that with? If if I can't say a trilogy and say like the Mass Effect trilogy, I'll pay that. Um, yeah, that, that might be it. Like I, I replayed it earlier this year in Legendary, and it was just such a great experience to revisit. But uh, that world and sense of um, you know, I mean, it, it's a sense of a, a, a universal. It is a world, thing. yeah. It's, yeah, well, yeah. It's, sorry, it's, yeah, sorry, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, good point. Universe is a far it's, better. It's word. a universe, yeah, and uh, it feels like a, a real universe. Like that's it's it's a hard thing to to say, like to make a game and be like, this feels like a real world, whether it's, um, you know, 
The Last of Us or Fallout 3 or something. But to have like a whole universe that feels like that is pretty amazing. And this not really in my library. It's not really any games that, that pull that off or series of original content that, that pull that off. And it's, uh, you know, it, it makes it even more glaringly obvious that Bioware haven't lived up to that since then. When you go back and play a game they'll, and, and they'll feel find that. Their feet again. I hope so, yeah. And I, I yeah, I really hope that whatever they do next can hit in the same hit, way. Yeah, hit in the same way that, that Andromeda and, and Anthem didn't. But um yeah, that that's that's my answer to talk about a game that I haven't already mentioned, I guess. No, it's a fantastic choice though, or a series of choices, I'll mm. we'll say. Um <laughs> Jono, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing the journey so far. As a friend for a number of years now, it's been fantastic to just kind of watch on from the side and see all these incredible things that you've been up to from the podcast scene to the writing to the publishing books to now working in game development and even then learning after the fact about all the things that you got up to within game development that weren't even the things you were technically brought on <laughs> for. It's it's really, really awesome to see and you are just kicking goals everywhere. So congratulations on all that work and thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, man. If I ever get to work on anything at this level again, I'd love to come back and talk to you about it because you, you ask some good questions and I, I want to change my, my Mass Effect answer. I, I want to have Trigger Witch wiped from, from my memory so I can play it That's fair. W- without being attached to the game and and then seeing how what I think of it. You know, That's I, might be, I might be quite that critical of that story. Unbiased perspective. <laughs> yeah. Just to um, be able to rate if- myself people want to see what you're up to learn more about the game learn more about the podcast you've got a lot of things mm-hmm. to plug uh plug away sure <laughs> i'll keep it i'll try and keep it to a minimum no 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 uh, you Lean can, right into it. okay you can follow me at Jono himself on social media uh, my you know if you played trigger witch or if you haven't played trigger witch um then you should play trigger witch but if you've played it and want to see some more of my work you can pick up the spy and the maven and the maven effect my two novels um, just Google them and you, you'll find them, no doubt. Uh, my podcasts are putting in work and Comedy Rewind. They're both part of the 8-Bit Network, which you can find at 8bit.net. And uh, do I have anything else to plug? I don't know. Uh, listen to Putting in Work. Paul's been on there, as long as, as well as a lot of great uh, game developers and voice actors. And uh, yeah, play Trigger Witch. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome game. I'll attest to that. And like I said... Uh was fortunate enough to get to play it pre-release but not have to worry about it for the review and just be able to kick back and mm. and immerse myself and enjoy it and I'm thrilled that I got to play it that way and not in the more with a more critical lens I was still I mean we we back and forth about a few little things I spotted on the way mm-hmm. um, but that it was nice to have been able to play the game without that overly critical sort of lens on sure um, and I had an absolute blast if you if you are into twin stick shooters you're gonna have a great time here. Uh, there's lots of things to love. And the, the storytelling, Jono, you're not here for a second. The storytelling <laughs> is fantastic. Um, you'll have a great time with it. The characters, the world, all of it comes together in this wonderfully cohesive whole. So please be sure to go check it out. What platforms is it available on now? And you mentioned, obviously, there's more to come. Mm. Yeah, so it's on the Nintendo Switch. It's on the PS4. And it's on the Xbox One. Obviously, they're both forwards compatible. Yep. So... But on top of that, there is a PS5 version coming out because we've sold limited edition collectible physical editions uh, 
for PS5 and Switch. I believe there are still some available if you want to oh, nice. get get some of you know. There's only a couple thousand of each, uh, so so they will be shipping later this year. So that means the PS5 version has to come out this year. <laughs> um, that will have a new trophy list. It'll have the 120 uh, refresh rate. It will have All the adaptive triggers. Yeah, so uh, I know Jared's really keen to, to make it feel like a PS5 game, as much as you can when it's SNES-style yeah, it graphics. Yeah, when it has a 16-bit look. <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's, you know, he's, a, he's a frame rate uh, freak, so that'll be as, as tight as it can be. And uh, yeah, the, the Switch physical, so a must-have for any Switch collector. So get on to Play Asia to, to order yourself one of those. They're, they're going quick. Well, yeah, they're, sure to do they're, so. There's they, not many left anyway. Yeah, they did sell a lot very fast from what I could see. I mm. woke up the next morning and panicked because I thought they were already gone. So uh, <laughs> thankfully, that wasn't quite the case. But there wasn't there wasn't many left, and there's still not many yeah. now. So oh, and and I should say there's, there's no date, but there will I think it's safe to say there will be a PC version at some point too. Good to hear. Yeah. Well, Jono, as I said, thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing everything so far. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, as always, thank you much for listening and I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Jono's story. Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.